Hey, thank you for listening. Did you know I have a YouTube channel? I have over 130 different videos. I have videos with more scary stories told in the rain, scary stories by a crackling fire, and I also have videos that are less relaxing and more on the scary side. Go check it out, and please don't forget to subscribe. In the YouTube search bar, just type being scared. All right. Catch you later. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. This story took place when I was 17 years old and home alone when my parents took a trip out of the U.S. We lived there for three years for my father's job when I was a child, so they were visiting old friends they had made when we lived there. My older brother was out of state in college at the time, so I was alone for the week. It was a Friday night, and one of my good friends was supposed to spend the night with me so that I wasn't alone for the weekend. Something came up, and he had to leave, leaving me home alone. I wasn't worried or nervous at all because I had been staying home alone since I was 12 years old, and as I got older, I had spent several nights alone. My friend ended up leaving at around 10 o'clock that night. I texted my mom, letting her know that he had to leave, and that I would be alone for the rest of the night. She told me that was fine, but to just be careful and make sure the alarm was set. So I got ready for bed, and decided to sleep in my parents' bedroom, because they had a huge TV in their room with cable, which I didn't have in my room. I set the house alarm, got in bed, and started looking for a movie on cable to watch. My dog was lying on the bed with me, so I knew she couldn't have done anything to cause what happened next. About an hour had passed, and I was flipping through the channels when my house alarm suddenly went off. I immediately looked up at the alarm unit by the bedroom door and saw the red light was flashing on and off. I froze. It was a very loud and repetitive beeping sound. I think it took me about 15 seconds to process what was happening. Did the alarm just go off by itself? I thought. There's no way a door opened. Immediately, I started thinking of anyone and everyone I knew that could have possibly opened one of the doors to my house with a key, since all the doors were locked. I knew my brother was not coming home for the weekend. I knew it was not my friend who had recently left, because I had just received a text saying that he just got home. I went through all of my friends that I could think of, and every single one of them was either out of town or busy that night. I knew none of my neighbors would have opened any of the doors either. I went through all of this in my head in that 15 seconds that I was frozen on the bed. Finally, I snapped out of it and ran to my parents' bedroom door, closed it, and locked it. I refrained from turning the alarm off because I knew that it automatically calls the police once it hits one minute of going off. And I was also thinking 
the loud alarm would probably scare away whoever just broke in. After I locked the door, I went to my mom's night table and took out her revolver that she kept in there, in case of emergencies like this one. I am only about 5'4", and I knew that if anyone who came through that door had the intention of hurting me, they would probably succeed. I wasn't taking chances. I took out the gun, made sure it was loaded, and took the safety off. I held the gun up and pointed it at the door, but kept my finger off the trigger, as you're supposed to do, until you know for a fact you're going to shoot. I couldn't believe that I was holding a gun and pointing it at something, and possibly someone, with the intention to shoot if they proved to be dangerous. I sat there mentally preparing myself to shoot whoever managed to get through the door. This is something I never thought I would have to do. I remained calm and didn't let my emotions or fear get the better of me. I knew I needed to stay quiet and keep my head clear in case something actually happened. I was kneeling on the floor in this position for what felt like forever, but I'm sure it was only a couple minutes. The alarm was still going off, and I decided that I would call 911, just in case the alarm system malfunctioned and did not call the police. I dialed 911, explained to them everything that was going on, and they sent two police officers my way. The dispatcher stayed on the phone with me until the cops got there. They checked the exterior perimeter of my house before knocking on the front door. I turned the alarm off and put the gun away. I opened the front door and talked to the officers. They told me they found no sign of a break-in on the outside of the house. They asked me a few questions about what had happened, and I explained everything to them. They then asked me if I wanted them to do a sweep of the interior of the house to see if anyone had broken in and possibly hid somewhere. Looking back, I cannot believe how stupid my answer was. No, I think it's okay. The cops assured me they would remain in the area and told me not to hesitate to call if anything else happened. I walked them out, locked the front door behind them, and went back into my parents' bedroom. I made sure my dog wasn't spooked at anything that happened, being that she's a 20-pound cocker spaniel and not exactly the guard dog type. I then proceeded to finally call my parents and tell them what happened. My mom has always been an extremely calm person, so she didn't panic, and I guess I have her to thank for my calm attitude during all of this, because I'm a lot like her in that sense. My dad, however, was clearly very worried about me. They asked me if I was okay and if I wanted them to come home early. I told them that that wasn't necessary and that I'm sure nothing like that would happen again, since the alarm probably scared them off. I hung up the phone with my parents and realized I hadn't turned the alarm back on. So I went to the alarm system, entered the code, and pushed set. Nothing happened. It wasn't turning back on. I was confused at first, but then I realized the alarm doesn't turn on unless every door in the house is completely shut. My heart dropped. I had the realization that I had to now go around the house and look for whatever door had been opened and set the alarm off in the first place. This is when I realized how stupid I was to tell the officers no when they asked if I wanted them to search the interior of the house. I went back to my mom's night table 
and picked up the gun again, mentally preparing for the worst. I then went to every door on the ground level of my house holding the gun in both my hands. I finally made it to the hallway where the door entering our garage was, and it was there that I saw the door to the garage had been left wide open. Chills went through my body at the thought that someone actually tried to break in, and they succeeded. We had two ground level windows in our garage, so someone coming through there to get into the house was not far fetched. I turned the light on in the garage and held the gun in front of me. I looked at the two windows in the garage, and there didn't seem to be any sign that they were opened. I immediately shut the door to the garage, locked it, and tried turning the alarm on again. It worked this time. After this, I went through the entirety of the house with the gun in hand to check if anyone had hidden anywhere. I prayed the entire time that I wouldn't find anyone and wouldn't have to use the gun. To my relief, I found nothing and no one. I slept with my parents' bedroom door locked that night and with the revolver under my pillow for the rest of the week. When my parents finally returned home from the trip, my father inspected the windows in the garage to see if they had been forced open or anything like that. As I figured, there was no evidence of a forced entry. My parents concluded that the door to the garage must not have been shut all the way, and a gust of wind came from outside through the garage and then swung the door to the house open, causing the alarm to go off. We never figured out what actually happened. I am now 23 years old. Six years have passed since that night. And whatever it was, whatever truly happened, it continues to be the scariest night of my life. I can't even bring myself to imagine what would have happened if we didn't have an alarm system and if I didn't have my mom's gun. Although nothing bad actually ended up happening, I advise everyone listening to this story to always make sure your home has an alarm and to always keep the doors locked. Beaches often come to mind when you think about spring break. That's probably because most people need a break from their stressful job or schoolwork and want to get away. And what better place to unwind than on the beach with warm sand, cool breezes, and refreshing water. The scenario in my story was unfortunately not the relaxing getaway that I had hoped for. A couple years ago, my friend and I took a trip down south to enjoy some much-needed relaxation. We both were extremely stressed with work and really needed a mental break from everything at the office. To be fair, most of the trip was pretty relaxing until a night where my friend and I were laying on the beach. Which was weird for us, we never really went to the beach at night as we both preferred the warm sunlight during the day. We were watching the moon reflect off the water when we saw two people walk up to us seemingly out of nowhere. I noticed that one of them was a girl, quite pretty actually. She had wild curly hair, and from what I could see of her eyes, they looked very dark. She was wearing a beach cover-up over her bathing suit, and she was with a guy, I assume her significant other, because she was holding his hand. He had a long beard, 
with long brown hair that was up in a bun. He was wearing a red flannel that was unbuttoned, with no shirt underneath, and just plain bathing suit shorts. They just stood there standing over us, way too close, making us feel uncomfortable. Both of them just staring and smiling at us, smiling for no reason. Finally, my friend, a little annoyed, said, Excuse me, can we help you with something? The woman, still smiling, said in a slow, soft voice, You two are quite beautiful, you know. I was at a loss for words and just looked over to my friend and he just said, Thanks, you can leave us alone now. Clearly his annoyance was turning into anger. The woman looked at him and said in a chipper, creepy voice, No, thank you. While she still continued to smile, her boyfriend still continued to just stand there, stiff, not moving. After a moment, another couple came over. Again, both were smiling. She also had a cover-up on, but was sporting some pigtails that were not even close to symmetrical, and her boyfriend had really curly, shaggy-looking hair. The woman standing basically on top of us averted her attention to them and said, Look, a new couple. I was pretty unsettled, and these four people just kept inching closer and closer to me and my friend. My friend finally stood up and stepped to one of the guys and said, Take one more step, man. All four of the smiling weirdos began laughing, and before I could even react, one of the guys lunged at my friend. It was the scariest thing I have ever seen. Both men started to beat up my friend while both girls just sat there and laughed. I tried to intervene, but one of the girls grabbed me and tossed me to the ground. The two guys then threw my friend down in the sand next to me, and with a blink of an eye, their permanent smiles turned into faces of anger and malice. Somehow, my friend had the mindset to do something to help us get out of there. He kicked the ankle of one of the girls so she stumbled. This brought the attention of the others to her stumbling backwards in the sand. In this split second, my friend grabbed my hand, and we ran as fast as we could towards our resort. Looking in the distance, we could see the two couples standing there, but they were not chasing us. We got back to our room and locked the doors and turned off the lights. All night long in the hallway, we could hear giggling and shushing. I don't know if we were just being paranoid, but we were definitely fearful that it was the freak shows from the beach. The next day, we checked out early from the hotel and left for home. We didn't want to risk running into these dangerous strangers again. We also didn't want to call the cops and file a report and all of that, though. As we were leaving the hotel, we saw the two girls on the corner of the street waving and smiling at a car that wasn't ours. We couldn't believe it. We just peeled out and left for home, putting this experience behind us. When we got home, we decided to inform the resort of our incident. They apologized and said they would look into the matter but stated since no report was filed at the time of the incident, there was probably not much they could do. I know some of you may not find this story particularly scary in the traditional sense, 
but encountering such psychotic people who would harm strangers without a second thought is by far the most traumatic experience of my life. Yeah, happy vacation. So this story happened to me and my friend, we'll call her Anna, about seven months ago. In the town we live in, there's a popular bridge with train tracks underneath it, where a lot of us will go smoke, drink, or just hang out. It was the summer going into my senior year, and Anna and I were bored one Saturday night, as there isn't much to do around where I live. So we decided to just go hang out at the bridge. Now. The way the bridge is set up, there are two ways to get in. The first way is you have to turn down a side street and park off to the side of the road on this small strip of gravel. Then you walk down the street a little way and then go behind the guardrails and down a steep slope of dirt and rocks to get to the tracks. You have to cross the train tracks and then go to the side of where the bridge is to climb up the rocks. The second way to get in is through the other side. You just hop down off the street into a short trail that leads you down there. You don't have to cross the tracks or anything to get there. Anna and I get to the bridge, and by now it's about 10.30 or 11 o'clock p.m., so it's extremely dark outside. We didn't really think about it, as we lived in a nice town, and nothing bad really ever happened where we lived. So we hopped out of the car, turned on our flashlights from our phones, and started to make our way down the slope, trying not to fall as we laughed and shouted a bit. We finally get down, and climb up the rocks to get up to where the couches and the small fire pit were. I sat down against one of the pillars, on one of the folding chairs, while Anna sat on the couch. We were just talking, hitting our vape pens, and nothing was out of place. After about twenty minutes or so, I started to hear small noises, like something, or someone was moving around in the woods behind, or more like next to the tracks. I then had the strongest feeling that we were being watched. I kept looking behind me to try to see if I could see anyone, but it was no use. It was so dark that I couldn't see my own hand in front of me. I think Anna started to get the same feeling I had, as we both just made eye contact and gave each other a I feel it too, kind of look. Anna then asked me, What are you doing? And tried to put my arm down. I told her to be quiet, as I shined my flashlight in the direction I thought we were being watched from. She started to quietly panic, and I told her to calm down. We tried to just tell ourselves that we were just being paranoid. The flashlight didn't shine that far, and we couldn't see anyone in the area that the light did cover. The noises started happening more frequently, which made us panic even more. We started to discuss the situation. If there was someone there, where would they be hiding? How long had they been there? Were there more than one of them? Anna then got the stupid idea to shout, Hello, is someone there? We're chill, you don't have to hide. We sat in silence for five minutes as nothing happened, and the noises stopped. It was dead silent. Then, all of a sudden, 
an empty plastic water bottle was thrown in our direction. We could see where it had landed only a few feet away from us. We were scared absolutely shitless. Now we knew that someone had been there watching us. Anna said we needed to get out of there, but we were both too scared to move. Afraid that if we did, whoever was out there would come out and attack us as we tried to climb down the rocks. We heard a twig snap and I nearly screamed. Anna decided that she was going to jump off the edge of the ledge we were sitting on. I grabbed her arm and said that it's too high to jump off. You can't even see all the way down to where the tracks are and made her stay with me. By now, we had been there for at least 45 minutes to an hour. The person hiding was just sitting there in the dark, watching us. We calmed down and decided that when we count to three, we are going to run across the rocks and book it across the tracks and back up the slope to the car. I counted. One. Two. Three. When I said it, we ran as fast as we could, not looking back to see who was there. We made it back up the hill completely out of breath. We decided to walk over to the bridge and see if we could hear anything. We stood on the bridge above the opposite side of where we had been sitting before. We called down, shouting, Who's there? You better leave now! And a bunch of other things and a few obscenities that I will not repeat. We heard a shuffling and rocks moving directly under us. When we were running across earlier, they must have tried to chase us, and when we made it to the top, they just went to the other side of the tracks and climbed up those rocks. There was no way he had been there the whole time, as he had thrown a water bottle at us earlier, and it would have been too far to throw from the other side. And it came from a completely different direction. We got really freaked out and started to leave, and then heard a train coming. I grabbed my friend's arm and said, Wait, if we wait for the train, maybe we can see who is watching us. She agreed, and we slowly and cautiously walked back down the slope as the train began to approach. The train lights were so bright, and at first, we couldn't see anyone. Then I look over to the pillars, and to my absolute horror, I see someone standing there with the blankest eyes I have ever seen, and they're peeking around one of the pillars. The person looked strung out like they were on something. They saw me immediately and ducked back behind the pillar. I screamed as me and my friend turned to sprint back up to her car before the train passed so we couldn't follow us. We booked it out of there and haven't been back at night since. I still get freaked out that that person had been watching us the whole time we were down there, and if they did manage to get us while we were running, what would they have done? I don't know, and I'm not sure that I want to. I live in a boring little town in Florida. It's an uneventful place, so for fun, or maybe just out of pure boredom, my friend and I would meet up and take late night walks around our town. We usually met up across the street from these woods right next to a small abandoned fire station, down the road from a gas station. On this particular night, my friend wanted to go explore this little path that cuts directly through the woods. 
It was about 1 a.m., and I thought it might make for a cool adventure, so I obliged. We crossed the street and make it to the mouth of the trail. I should mention that there was construction going on at the left-hand side of the woods, so it was fenced off, but the lights from the site slightly illuminated the trail, so we really didn't need flashlights. I had this uneasy feeling right off the bat, like we were being watched, but I chalked it up to nerves and an overactive imagination. We continued down the trail, and I start to notice weird stuff like branches breaking and leaves crunching just out of our view. I tell my friend that maybe we should leave, and not ten seconds later, the lights at the construction site shut off. Oh, great. The moon was probably full, so I wasn't too worried. We didn't walk too terribly far, and I could still make out the mouth of the trail. We decided to walk back, and I felt relieved. And that's when I noticed it. Crouched down in a bush not ten feet away, I could see someone's eyes as they watched us. I whispered to my friend that we needed to run, and we did, and I could hear the person running after us close behind. We kept running, and eventually made it out of the woods and crossed the street. I turned to look back, and I saw a man in the mouth of the trail. This man was completely naked, and looked absolutely insane. He had a glass bottle in his hand, and he threw it in our direction. He then knelt down and started picking up rocks to throw at us. That's when we left. We didn't stop until we made it to the gas station. I notice that my friend is bleeding pretty bad from his arm, and he tells me that right after I grabbed him to run, something hit him. Upon further inspection, I saw that my friend had a large piece of glass sticking out of his arm. He needed 15 stitches. We called the cops and explained what happened, partly because we didn't want anyone else to get hurt, and partly because I didn't feel safe with that guy running around. When the cops searched the woods that morning, they found signs of someone living in there, and much more disturbingly, bloody clothes that looked like they belonged to a little girl. I never heard anything about it since. The story I'm about to share with you happened almost 10 years ago. At the time, I was 17 years old, and like most teenagers my age, I was content to lock myself away in my room with my laptop and headphones. In the fall of that year, my parents went up north for the weekend. We live in Michigan, and the Upper Peninsula is famous for its scenery that time of year. I was left with the house to myself for the entirety of the weekend and thought nothing of it. I enjoyed my privacy and didn't mind being alone. Let me tell you about my house and where we lived. Our house is very old and a modest dwelling, two floors and a basement. All the bedrooms are on the first floor since the second floor is an unfinished attic. The house itself is about eight miles from the nearest town. The backyard is pretty large with an even larger cornfield stretching out for acres and acres. 
separating the property from the lake on the other side of the trees. The cornfield stretches partially around the house, creating a wall between our house and our neighbors to the east. It wasn't isolated by any means. There are five houses very near, one on each side and three across the street. A local hunter, a farmer, a retired couple, a construction worker, and the local preacher were the people I called neighbors. It's a quiet road, little traffic and only the occasional coyote howl to disrupt the night. A nice calm place to live. It was day two of my weekend alone. It was a chilly evening, so I shut my window and locked it before I huddled up on my bed with my laptop. I've always been a big fan of urban legends, especially legends that have some truth woven into the tale. Truth always makes a good story better and makes a scary story all the more frightening. That night I had no idea that I was about to take part in my own scary tale. While zoning out on my laptop, watching horror videos and reading stories online, I heard an odd noise over my headphones. I pulled one speaker away from my ear and focused on the sound. The sound was coming from my window. My bedroom is a corner bedroom and as a result, I have two windows. One window facing my neighbor to the west, and the second window faced the backyard. It was the second window that had the strange noise. At first, I thought leaves and loose branches were getting blown against the screen, since it was fall and the weather in Michigan can get pretty harsh and unpredictable. But my reasoning didn't quite fit with the sound. It wasn't a banging or rattling. It was like metal wires snapping. I removed my headphones and used my laptop screen as a light to see where I was walking without putting a glare on the window's glass. The curtains and blinds beneath were drawn, preventing anything outside from being able to see inside. I was nervous about looking outside. I was alone, and I had no idea what was going on. I hugged my wall as I slipped my fingers under the curtains and slowly, carefully, pulled down one of the blinds so I could look outside. There, standing in the darkness right outside my window, was a person holding a knife. My heart skipped a beat as my blood ran cold. My instincts told me not to make a sound and to stay out of sight. I slid down my wall and crawled on my hands and knees to my cell phone sitting on the small table next to my bed. I called 911 and whispered everything to the person on the other line. I told them someone was outside my window and that they had a knife and that I was alone. The operator stayed on the line with me and kept reassuring me that the police were on their way and that's when I heard my screen start to be sliced. I kept telling her I wanted to run, but she insisted that I stayed put and didn't make a sound. Suddenly, the snapping sound of the screen wires stopped. I listened in fear when I heard a new sound. The knife was now digging at the wooden frame of the window 
and the man was desperately trying to pry it open from the outside. The motion light in the backyard suddenly flashed on just seconds before the red and blue lights of the arriving police car shone through my other window. I listened carefully and heard someone running from the car to the backyard. I could also hear their radio clicking on and off as they checked the area. A loud knock on the front door made me jump. I heard a man call out for me, identifying himself as a cop. Still scared, I opened my bedroom door and crept down the hall. I peeked into the living room and didn't see anything. The knocking persisted and again, the cop identified himself. I peeked through the window and saw him standing there, his eyes still checking the yard. I flung open the door and almost pulled the cop inside, just so happy to see someone else. He asked if I was okay and if I could give a description of the man I saw. I couldn't. He was wearing all black and had a hood pulled up which shrouded his face. All I could do was describe the large hunting knife that he used to slice my screen. His partner joined him on the front porch and told us that he didn't see anyone in the area. I kept insisting on what I saw, and they of course believed me, since the patrolling cop saw the damage to my screen. The cops did a second sweep of the property and made sure every single window was secured and that the doors were locked and the garage was secure. Before leaving, the cops told me they'd keep a patrol car in the area, but they were confident that whoever I saw wouldn't be back. They just figured that it was some teenager who was trying to break in through my window and got scared when he saw the police car arrive. I thanked them and proceeded to double-check the locks for myself. I wanted to call my mom, but I knew my parents were already on their way home and would be back in the morning. Unable to go back into my room, I chose to sleep on the couch in the living room and tell my parents as soon as they walked in the front door. About an hour later, after I was finally able to relax and started to drift off to sleep on the couch, I heard a loud bang against my back door. I sat straight up and looked through the kitchen and the back mudroom that leads to the back door. Bang! This time I knew I was in danger. I grabbed my cell phone and dialed 911 again. This time, I ran into the kitchen and grabbed a large knife from the butcher's block and huddled on the floor against the counter in the cabinets. I pressed the phone to my ear as the operator, a man this time, continued to talk to me so I didn't feel alone. Bang! I gripped the knife tighter and began mentally trying to psych myself up. If this man managed to get inside, would I be able to defend myself? He had a knife. Maybe that's why I grabbed one too. But I didn't know anything about him. How tall was he? How strong was he? Did I even stand a chance? Bang! I heard the wood on the doorframe crack. The old door was locked on by a chain. One more hard kick could surely break the door down, and then... I didn't want to think about it. I prepared for the final bang, for the door to give in and for that man to attack me. When I heard a voice yelling over the banging noise, Get on the ground! Drop the knife! 
Oh, thank God, I said out loud. The cops are still here. The operator on the line, who had been speaking to me throughout this entire ordeal, continued to try and keep me calm. I listened to the cop order the man to drop the knife over and over again, but I just knew that the crazy bastard wasn't listening. Then, another bang. But it wasn't from someone kicking the back door. It was from someone firing a gun. It was silent, and time seemed to stand still. A gentle knock at the front door drew my attention. The same cop as before was once again identifying himself. I told the operator a cop was at the door and hung up the phone. I opened the front door, the knife still in my hand. The cop saw it and very calmly suggested that I put it down. My hand was gripping the knife so tightly that my knuckles were white and my fingers were cramped. When I dropped the knife, the cop escorted me from the front door to his car, which was parked in the side yard. Under the motion lights of the backyard, I could see his partner standing over the body of the man in black. I could see his knife lying on the ground, just inches from his hand, and even from a distance, I could see there was blood on the blade. The man himself looked like he had been dead for weeks. His hood had fallen from his face, revealing it to the night. He was impossibly pale white. His skin was unnaturally aged, with heavy wrinkles and lots of discoloration. His hair was long, stringy, and blonde. His eyes, still open, were sunken into his skull. I was taken to the police station to deliver a statement and to ensure there was no other attackers on my property. When I told everything I knew to the interviewing cop, another cop walked into the room with a file in his hands. He whispered something to the first cop and handed him the file. I asked the cop if they knew who the man was, and he nodded. I asked to know who he was and what he wanted. At first, the cop didn't want to tell me, but I insisted. I managed to coax the cop into telling me and a part of me wishes I hadn't. The man was a chronic junkie who abused any and all drugs he could get his hands on. He was also a violent schizophrenic with bipolar disorder. He used to live in the area until he was finally locked up in a mental hospital about 20 years prior. The act that got him locked away all those years ago was a result of his attempt to burn down a church, declaring that he was the true son of God and that all religious figures were false prophets and tools of Satan. The cops figured that he was trying to break into my house because he thought it was where the preacher lived. He had the wrong house and probably would have killed me anyway if he had gotten inside. After a moment of letting this sink in, I asked why the cops didn't see him the first time I called. His answer sent shivers up my spine. And now, I never look at my backyard the same. He told me that the man had hidden in the cornfield the first time and was watching the house from between the rows. He had never left. He was there, watching the house and waiting for the police to leave. After looking at his picture, I could tell that he was absolutely crazy.
and I'm very glad that he won't be around anymore.